Thank you, Ted. It's good to see some of you who have been away and unwell children to be back this morning. And I know there are many other families where there's been illness this past week. And so um, if you're watching, we miss you and we're praying for you and we understand uh, a little bit all that the Lord does, but what he does, he does well. Well, this Sunday, we're going to take a little bit of a break from Christ's Sermon on the Mount and our series on Heavenly Hearts, and we're going to consider the necessity of the cross. We do that, I believe, every Sunday, but this Sunday even more so. This coming Wednesday will be the beginning of Pesach, or Passover, It is also known as the Feast of Freedom. And it is the annual Jewish celebration that commemorates the Lord God's miraculous deliverance of the Israelites out of the bondage of slavery in Egypt and into a new life as his old covenant people. And not by accident, today is Palm Sunday. The day in which we celebrate or we commemorate or we remember when Jesus entered into Jerusalem some 2,000 years ago. And he did so on a young donkey as promised by Zechariah and Zechariah 9.9. And though Jesus, as he enters in to Jerusalem, is initially welcomed with palm branches and with children crying out, Hosanna, and by a crowd who proclaim him to be the king of Israel in a matter of days he will be rejected and crucified as a criminal on a Roman cross. And though he has come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover feast one last time with his disciples, as he has repeatedly warned his disciples and reminded them over and over again and what they have, it would seem, chosen to ignore repeatedly He has ultimately come to suffer, to be rejected, and to be rejected very specifically as King and Messiah, and to be killed, and then after three days to rise again. Well, why? Well, because as John the Baptist had proclaimed, Jesus of Nazareth is the Lamb of God. And as the faithful Son of God, Jesus has come in loving obedience to the will and word of his Father. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he has come to willingly give his life as a substitute and a sacrifice on the cross, as a ransom for many. He's come to give his life as a substitute and a sacrifice to save his people from their sins and to make them into something completely new and different the new covenant people of God. Well, brothers and sisters, this is what we celebrate allegedly at Easter. But brothers and sisters, this is not a myth or a fable or a tradition that Christians celebrate one time a year. This, brothers and sisters, is the good news of God's authoritative, His inerrant, His infallible word. This is 
the power of God that saves sinners from their sin. And as such, this word of the cross is necessary, not just once a year, but it's necessary for everyone, everywhere, all of the time. And this brings us to our first point this morning. The word of the cross is necessary for everyone, everywhere, all the time. And let me ask you, what are the three most necessary things in your life? What are the three things that you cannot live without? Money, food, family, coffee, sleep, sriracha sauce. We all recall traveling on airplanes where people bring out their little bottles for their food, right? In order to make sure that they never leave home without it. Your cell phone. Maybe another way of thinking it is in spouses, we can ask you, what does your spouse get crabby or hangry if they don't get irritable and annoyed easily? As we think of those things, and we all have them, let's take a minute and think, where does the word of the cross fit in on that list? of the most essential things in our life, the most necessary things in our life, the things that we can't live without for an extended period of time. Well, for the Apostle Paul, the great necessity for everyone, everywhere, all of the time is the gospel. And very specifically, as we come to his epistle to the Corinthians, He speaks of this as the word of the cross. And he's not just speaking about any word. He is speaking about God's divine proclamation of what he has done to save sinners through the death and the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. That word of proclamation, a word of power, the same word of power and the same author, that we look back in Genesis using his word to create the entire universe. And for the Apostle Paul, this was necessary, not just for a minute or a moment. And this was not so often as believers, we believe, okay, if you're a sinner, you need the word of the cross. Now the rest of us, what we need is programs to figure out how to do a worship ministry or how to preach better or how to do a children's ministry. But Paul presents to us in his epistle to the Romans and in Galatians and you go over and over and over again and we go back to the gospels, Jesus to the disciples on the road to Jerusalem. In fact, as you walk through each gospel, you see a significant chunk And at the end and at the climax, everything from beginning to end is leading to the cross. And Jesus is reminding his disciples over and over again, we need to go to Jerusalem. It's necessary. We must go to Jerusalem where the Son of Man is going to be rejected, humiliated, crucified, and then on the third day raised up. And 
pretty repeatedly, they're like, okay, Jesus, why are we doing this? You shouldn't do this. And I think there we catch an inkling a little bit, brothers and sisters, and this is the disciples, that in our heart and in our natural tendency, the cross, understandably, is something we're afraid of. It's human suffering. It's human humiliation. It's human rejection. It's the very things in our life, if we're honest with ourselves, that we do everything to avoid. That's why as we as Asians get great educations and right, work hard and get a down payment for a house and all of those other things and we work on excellent education for our children. We're doing everything within our power to prevent suffering, rejection, humiliation. Because if we could do A, B, C, D, and E, we're going to be able to make sure the next generation doesn't suffer in the same way we have suffered, right? And yet Paul comes in in 1 Corinthians and he writes in verse 18, 1 Corinthians 1.18, he says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is, present tense, it is the power of God. And here the Apostle Paul divides the world into two groups. The first group are those for whom the word of the cross is unnecessary, useless, of no value, literally moronic. And the Apostle Paul identifies this group as those who are present, ongoing, perishing, or being destroyed. This is not they're about to be destroyed or they will be destroyed. It is they are actively being destroyed and they are perishing before our very eyes. The house is burning down as we speak. This, brothers and sisters, is Paul's description of the world in which we live and the vast majority of the people in our world actively perishing as we speak withering and dying before our very eyes from the inside out because they have no time or need for the word of the cross. But the second group, the Apostle Paul identifies as us, you and I, as he's writing to the Corinthians, us who are being saved, us who are actively in the process of being delivered from this perishing life and world. Step by step being taken out of the burning house. And for us, the word of the cross is, not was, not past tense, is the power of God. The power that is saving and sanctifying us from sin and transforming us into the image of Christ. And the implication of this statement that the Apostle Paul makes is there is no greater need There is no greater necessity in our relationships, our family, our parenting, our marriages, in every aspect of our life. There is no greater need than the word of the cross. Now we know that, we talk about that. But brothers and sisters, let me ask you, how often do you unplug your refrigerator? 
How often do you go out to that valve that controls the water to your house and do you turn it off? And do you say to the kids, hey, we're just going to take a break for a while. Been there, done that. We had a good meal. Just not going to eat for a while. Not going to have any water for a while. That might be fine for a day or two. But it's ridiculous, right? When we think of the earthquakes we've seen in Turkey and these other countries where people are trapped under massive amounts of concrete, everything that the world has built up, and the clock is ticking as they dig to try and reach these people because minute by minute, day by day, they are perishing for lack of what they need to live. And the Apostle Paul is coming and making the same point to the church in Corinth, and Christ, the Apostle Paul, is making the same point to us. You cannot live without the word of the cross for a minute or a moment. It is the power of God that sustains you, that sets you free from sin, that washes you, that cleans you, that connects you with the Lord, and gives you life. And it's worth noting what prompted the Apostle Paul to write these God-breathed words to that church in Corinth. The church in Corinth were a group of saints with a remarkable testimony. They were not unlike people who had been rescued from an earthquake. The city of Corinth was an infamously idolatrous and decadent trade city. And J.C. has walked us through the background of the church in Corinth in Lagos. Infamously idolatrous and decadent, around 48 miles west of Athens. And prior to the proclamation of the word of the cross in Corinth by the Apostle Paul and Priscilla and Aquila and his team of missionaries who later came, but primarily Paul, which he did around 50 AD, as he was about approximately in the area of being around 50 years old, the lives of the Corinthians reflected the city in which they lived, idolatrous and decadent. Brothers and sisters, over time, we begin to reflect the world which we not only live in, but we embrace. And we see that buried beneath the sin and evil of this perishing world and city, in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, the Apostle Paul reminds the saints in Corinth what some of them were prior to hearing the word of the cross. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, he gives a list. And he says, some were such of you, sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, Swindlers. The Apostle Paul's words, not mine. They were the unrighteous who will not inherit the kingdom of God. What changed? It was through the simple preaching of the word of the cross that God had graciously rescued them for himself. Washing them, sanctifying them, justifying them. It means making them right by the power of His Holy Spirit and in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. 
And it's through the word of the cross, God had transformed these idolatrous and decadent people, those to whom the Jewish community probably looked on as dogs who were unworthy of being saved or who could not be saved. At least let's interact with the wealthy. At least let's interact with the educated. At least let's interact with those who have their act together a little bit. And yet the Lord, when you read in Acts 18, appears in a dream to the Apostle Paul and gives him encouragement because it's definitely a hard city. How discouraged do we get, brothers and sisters, when we interact in a world that has no time for the cross and is busy killing themselves in the world? And yet the Lord encourages the Apostle Paul in Acts 18. He says, I have people in this city. There are people in this city, as terrible and as horrific as this city is, as terrible and horrific in this city as some of these people are, some of them belong to me. I'm not done yet with them. Brothers and sisters, you may be the worst of sinners, but the decision-making process is in the hand of the Lord, not your strength and your power or your past. And so the Apostle Paul remains there for a year and six months teaching them the Word of God. Just imagine that for a minute. Having the Apostle Paul himself stay in a church or your fellowship and teaching you from the Word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit for 18 months. If anybody had the opportunity, brothers and sisters, To get a head start, it was the church in Corinth. And yet, the reason Paul is writing this letter is that merely a few years after, the church in Corinth is being torn apart by personal conflict and spiritual compromise. And it's showing up in their relationships, in their marriages, in their work. And of course, it shows up in their worship. Every aspect of their lives was on fire and not on fire for the Lord. And you see this as you walk through. There is incest happening in the church. Individual members of the church are suing one another and taking one another to court. Husbands are leaving wives and wives are leaving husbands. They are tearing one another apart. Why? Well, Christ himself through the Apostle Paul shows them and us the reason in 1 Corinthians 1. And this, brothers and sisters, should be an incredible encouragement to us. Because Christ, rather than giving up on these believers who are making a mess of things, instead in love through the Apostle Paul, he speaks to them once again the word of the cross. And he reminds them what they have forgotten and why they are in the mess they are in. It's because they've become, like many Christians, too sophisticated and too successful For the word of the cross. They've moved on 
to better speakers, better preachers, better online sermons, better programs, and better ways in which they can make the church more successful. And in doing, they've walked away from the very power that redeemed them and conquered in their lives the sin and death and destruction of this world. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians verse 10, and we'll read down to verse 19. The Apostle Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Or the NASB says, made void. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And the discernment of the discerning, I will thwart. Why was the church in Corinth such a mess? Well, as the Apostle Paul points out here, it's not for lack of zeal. It's not for lack of enthusiasm. It's not for lack of having volunteers and people who are willing to participate in ministry. It's not for lack of spirit. But it was the wrong spirit. And as he points out, it was a zeal for the wisdom and the power of the world, not the cross. And as a result of that enamorment with the wisdom and power of the world, which they were bringing in and, and bringing into their worship and bringing into their lives, and probably had already been there to some degree, but now they had gone back to it. Their relationships, their lives, their worship. It was becoming just like the world. I like to think of it as an episode of The Voice. Right? Reality shows where people perform and you get to vote for which person you like. And the winner takes all and everybody pretends to be nice on the outside but the intent of this is to take everybody out and have one person left standing and that person is the winner and everybody else is the loser. And we enjoy watching. And we cheer for the people we like. But let me ask you, how well would that work in a family? How well does that work 
in a marriage? How well does that work in a private corporation? And the list goes on and on, right? But apparently it's good enough for the church. And we believe that we can start with the cross and build on the cross with all of these different things. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Peter. And brothers and sisters, how often as we look at our lives, are our lives filled with the same appetites and the same patterns? It's just, it's okay if it's my work. It's okay if it's my education. It's okay if it's my sports. And when we walk down that path, brothers and sisters, we end in the same place that the voice ends, or TV shows end, or our sports end. We end without the cross. And this brings us to our second point for the morning. The word of the cross is the power and wisdom of God that saves us from the wisdom and power of the world. One of the points the Apostle Paul is making as he writes this first chapter is what you are running after is the very thing that destroyed your life before. It is destroying your life now and it will destroy your life in the days to come. And in fact, not only will it destroy it, but God is coming to destroy that very thing, the wisdom and the power of the world. This is why Christ came and he died on the cross. And this is what you are chasing after. It is the wisdom and power of the world that keeps you in bondage. It is the wisdom and power of the world that blinds you to the greatness of God and His Son and His Spirit. It is the wisdom and power of the world that takes you away and separates you. And it's the wisdom of the world that pits you one against the other in your marriages, your relationships, your families, and in your church. Christ came and when he died on the cross and he rose from the grave this is exactly what he sets a sinner free from. This is what he saves you from including the destruction that is coming by God for this very spirit. Power is the ability to influence or achieve a specific outcome or goal. To make something happen. Wisdom is about making the right decisions or choices to achieve that right outcome or to be a success. And from Genesis to Revelation, the testimony of God's word is there are only two types of wisdom and power. There is the wisdom and power of heaven and there is the wisdom and power of hell. There is the wisdom and power of God, and there is the wisdom and power of the world. There is the wisdom and power of holiness, and the wisdom and power of evil. There is the wisdom and power that is humble and gracious, and there is the wisdom and power that is prideful and selfish. 
There is the wisdom and power that is true. And there is the wisdom and power that is a lie. There is the wisdom and power that gives life. And there is the wisdom and power that takes life. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to James 3.14. Where James expands on what is written from Genesis to Revelation, the Proverbs, the Psalms. He says in James 3.14, he says, But if you have bitter jealousy... And the literal words in Greek, zelon pikron, prickly zeal. That enthusiasm that starts to poke at people. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, what? Demonic. And from Genesis 3 onwards, it is the wisdom and the power of the world that has always been built on a selfish and damning and demonic lie. It is a way to succeed, to get what I want, to make things right, apart from God and His Word. I can do it myself. I can make this right. I can make sure my kids get into a good college. I can make sure my spouse does things better. I can make sure that the worship or the praise sounds better. I'll leave coffee alone because guys are going to serve us coffee today. But you know you walk through all of these things. There's a particular way that you can do it to make it the best. And if you make it the best, you're going to be a success. Just do A, B, C, D, and E. And that is going to make everything better. Spouses, how often do we get into conflicts? Because we're arguing over whose way is better. This is the wisdom and the power of the world that the Corinthians believed would improve and grow their worship. We have to ask, how about ourselves with our branding of worship, our virtue signaling of worship, our social media of worship? And the point the Apostle Paul makes is, the word of the cross proclaims that Christ did not come to make everything easier or better for us. He didn't come to give us success in this world. He did not come to give me a full night of sleep. Christ came and died on the cross to bring us back to God. And he was willing to be obedient to all that God had commanded. Even if it meant suffering. Even if it meant being rejected. Even if it meant being humiliated. Even if it meant every horror of this world, for what purpose? To do whatever was necessary at his own personal cost and love. To bring us back to God. How? 
by destroying everything that keeps us from God. Our sin, our pride, our selfish ambition, and yes, our wisdom and our power. And in verse 13, in response to the Corinthians, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, Branding, the Apostle Paul writes, is Christ divided? And in the rest of that first chapter, the Apostle Paul shows us how the wisdom and power of the world separates us from Christ and from one another, one step at a time. How? By replacing Christ with us. Verse 13, was Paul crucified for us? And suddenly it starts with the people we're enamored with. And they replace Christ. Maybe it's my spouse. Maybe it's my children. Maybe it's my pastor. Maybe it's my friends. And that's where it starts. But as it goes step by step, eventually it's me who's in there instead of Jesus. And then it proceeds by belittling God and belittling the power of the cross. How? By saying, we only need it some of the time. Or it's good. It's like our coffee, right? You don't need it black. You just need a little bit of cream. You just need a little bit of sugar. If we just add a little bit of this or a little bit of that to sweeten the gospel. And step by step, we say it's not as important, not as critical. Verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly, foolishness, of no value to those who are perishing. And the wisdom and the power of the world, it separates us from Christ by bringing us to a place of boasting and pride. A place where our very own pride in our own works begins to blind us to the beauty of who Jesus is. And what he has done. It begins to blind us to the glory of who our God is. A humble and gracious God. It begins to blind us. From seeing. The word. Of the cross. And instead. What we begin to look at. Or what fills our hearts. Are our gifts. Our work. What we do for God. This ministry. This church is growing. Because of my. And you fill in the blank. Or maybe the other way to look at it is, brothers and sisters, how often in ministry or at church do we get discouraged or discontent because things didn't turn out the way I'd hoped. And so often in those moments we hear, and I've been there too, where we think about or talk about, how many people did I invite over to my home? How often did I reach out to these people? How did I love these people? How did we gather or prepare or do whatever? And then this happened. And we see already in the propensity of our hearts is our focus is not on the word of the cross. Our focus is on who? And that, brothers and sisters, is exactly where the devil wants us to be. And that's the wisdom and the power of the world. Feeding our pride, feeding our flesh, feeding our selfish ambitions to blind us to the glory of God and to separate us from the only power that can save us. Which is what? It's the power of God. The good news of God's word. 
from Genesis to Revelation, the testimony of God's word is salvation is from the pastor. Salvation is from what? The church program. Salvation is from my children's education. Salvation is from the Lord. And the beauty of the word of the cross and where the Apostle Paul takes us is that the word of the cross is the power of God that destroys the wisdom and power of the world. The very thing that is destroying and enslaving us. And that's why we run away from it, brothers and sisters, but that's why we need it so badly. If you look at verse 18 again, he says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Let me ask you, brothers and sisters. As great as our athletes are, as great as our technology is, as great as all of these things that we have, how are we doing on world hunger? How are we doing on world peace? How are we doing on global warming? And this brings us to our third and final point this morning. The word of the cross reveals and imparts the glory of God in Christ. Part of the point that the Apostle Paul is making is none of these things, as much as we get excited about it, a better band up at the front, a better children's program, a better this, that, and the other thing. At the end of the day, how does that help us know God anymore? How does this set us free from the thoughts and the words And the things in our hearts that separate us from the love of God. They don't. But what does destroy our pride? What does destroy our wisdom and our power? What does remove those things that are destroying our lives, our relationships, our marriages, our families, our churches? Our relationship with the Lord and one another is the word of the cross. Why? Because it's the word of the cross that reveals the infinite goodness and greatness of who God is. And it imparts the infinite greatness and grace and goodness of God in Christ. The word for cross in Greek is staros. And it just simply means a stake. A stake or a piece of wood that is used to build a fence or a fortress. Originally, trees were meant to be a demonstration of life. That's what we see in Genesis. As time went on in a sin-filled world, trees became the opportunity and a resource to build protection and to provide help. But as we come to the law, we see that a tree is given a special use. That those who are cursed or condemned by God and the law are to be hung on a tree, but they are not to be kept there for an extended period of time. It is meant to be a demonstration of God's word and a preparation for the gospel. 
something to bring our eyes up and to see this is the consequence of walking away from the love and the life of God. Believing in the wisdom and power of the world. And the Persians took what God had given for life and they had taken that tree and the Persians transformed it into an instrument of hate and torture. Going beyond just a lesson of what is damaging and hard. And so they would impale their enemies on a spike and allow them to die for days. And it made a point. We're God. You stand in what our way, you stand in our way, and this is what happens to anybody who stands in our way. And then the Romans, who were not innovators, but instead great engineers and refiners, they developed the cross for mass executions. For enemies to humiliate them, to torture them, and to destroy them over an extended period of time where everybody in the populace could witness and look, this is what happens to an enemy of Rome. And of course you know that Roman citizens were given the privilege that if they were killed, their heads were cut off. And we believe that's what happened to the Apostle Paul. Unlike the Apostle Peter, who according to tradition was not a Roman citizen and therefore was crucified. And so as not to be crucified as his Savior was crucified upside down. The cross was the worst, the cruelest, and the truest display of the wisdom and the power of the world. And so understandably, as Jesus is journeying to the cross and he's going to Jerusalem, and his disciples know that the Jews in Jerusalem hate him and are getting ready to kill him, it's like, Jesus, why are we going to Jerusalem? And as he explains to them what awaits, they can't understand it. They avoid talking about it. They just move on. But the good news is, brothers and sisters, is after Christ is crucified and he's raised from the grave, the apostles understand and appreciate the necessity of the cross. And you see this all through the Apostle Peter's writings. And with the Apostle Paul in the very beginning of this chapter, he walks through from the beginning and shows them that what has saved you from your sin and took you from being idolaters and thieves and swindlers and revilers, people damned and standing under the curse. It's God the Father who by grace puts you in Christ. It is the work of Christ on the cross. It is the ministry of the Holy Spirit, chapter 2, that opened your eyes to see what you could not see and brought you to a place where you were set free from the wisdom and power of the world and brought you into fellowship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. How? Through the word of the cross. And what is the word of the cross, brothers and sisters? It is God's testimony of what he has done to save sinners through the death and the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. Because it is on the cross that God displays his infinite glory and his grace. That he is loving 
in a holy way to give to others and to sacrifice what is dearest for himself so that others may live. And yet he is also just. Ensuring that the full penalty of sin is paid. But how? Paid on our behalf. Paid by who? His son, Jesus Christ. And it is on the cross, brothers and sisters, that the Lord demonstrates that he is capable of using the petty and the small and the insignificant things in this world, what the world rejects and considers to be a loser, in order to transform an instrument of torture into a gift of life. And this, of course, is the message of the cross. And Paul's communicating to the Corinthians, this is what God has done in your life. He has taken people who are cursed by sin, and he has transformed them into the beauty and glory and goodness of a child of grace. And through God's wisdom, he has made foolish the wisdom of the world. And through God's weakness, or what people consider to be folly, he has trampled on the strength of the world. And he has shown that what we so desperately need, brothers, is not the wisdom and power of the world. We need a Savior who is not my homeboy. We need a Savior who is not a winner or a champion. We need a Savior who is not some earthly king or champion or sports star. We need a king who is the crucified and risen Lord. A king who is willing to suffer all the ugliness of this world and the entire wrath of God in obedience and love to the Father so that you and I can be transformed from the worst of this world to the beloved and blessed of God. Brothers and sisters, this is the word that brings sinners to repentance and faith in Christ, that calls us as pastors and members to place no confidence in the flesh, to say we don't need A, B, C, D, and E. We have Jesus and that's enough for everything in my marriage, my relationships, and my worship. It is the word that God has used to transform lives and to change the world and to prepare us for the glory when Christ comes again. And so the question remains, brothers and sisters, in your life and mine, what is the most necessary and essential truth in your life, your marriage, your family? Will it be the wisdom and power of the world? Or will it be the word of the cross? Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, what you have done to show us your goodness and your grace. At great cost to you, you became nothing. So we, as children of God, could become everything. Help us, Lord Jesus, never to wander far from the word of the cross. May it be our beginning and end until you come again. 
so that we might behold and receive and live and walk in a love that is not from this world. In your name we pray, amen.